strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. As always, appreciate you spending some time with me on the show. Uh, Gas prices have stabilized, but have gone up dramatically over the last few weeks. And one of the reasons Patrick Gahan from Gas Buddy, who has been a frequent guest on on the show, I should say on the entire station, because of their expertise in the area of gas prices and what and why, um, said that um, Arizona, the Phoenix area, western Arizona, have seen a temporary um, lull in production. And availability, which drove prices up a little bit. So one of the recommendations they were making is when you go to get gas, don't fill all the way up. If we did this in the short term, there would be more in reserve and it might keep the prices stable. Now, that's not a very good option long term for people. Um, what are the options here? What are some of the things that can be done? And I've ta- I talked to economy earlier. It was about housing. Let's talk about fuel prices. And again, this has a lot to do with policy. Um, the Biden administration is taking a lot of heat from its environmental base because of the Willow Project in Alaska, which is a drilling project. There are some environmentalists, and these are natives. These are um, people from Alaska, natives to Alaska that are complaining. But in large part, a lot of the natives in Alaska are saying, no, 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 we need these projects. This is how we make our money. We make a huge amount of money from drilling for oil. What's fascinating about this, and this is my argument with the, the, in my opinion, the kind of um, activist environmentalist, because I think most of us are environmentalists. How angry do you get when you see someone litter? If you saw your neighbor change the oil in their car and dump it down the storm drain, wouldn't you be furious? That's environmentalism. That's don't litter. Don't throw your cigarette butts out. Well, it'll start a fire, but don't litter. You know, use a trash can. Be polite. Don't throw things on the ground. We all kind of in that way. Plus, we want clean air. We want clean water. We do those things. We keep things pristine. When we would go on, uh, whether it was retreats with a church group or camping, um, we did a time where we cleaned things up. We left it cleaner than we found it. That, to me, is simple environmentalism. But let's talk about what I think are the activist environmentalists and where I think they, they divide themselves. They go a little sideways with people. And it's the idea that if we don't produce more oil, that somehow we're helping the world solve its problem. Let me make my argument. <clears throat> we, I don't think that there are many countries, if any, that are as capable and committed to drilling or fracking, whatever, and then refining and delivering fossil fuel products like the U.S. We have taken what we, when we were energy independent, when we were laser focused on energy independence, and we have greatly reduced that. So we are not doing the up upkeep, the maintenance, the um, upgrading of, of facilities, whether it's to drill or to refine. We are seeing a big issue with refining. It's hard for us to keep up with the demand for diesel fuel. It is about that heavier oil that's used in its production, but it's also about the inability to produce enough of it, to refine enough of it. And we have turned a lot of this over to the OPEC nations, to the Saudis. Uh, we know that the uh, Venezuelans, we're talking about now, it's crossing over into the the national security argument 
But speaking about the prices of things, we have a much bigger seat at the table. We didn't have to or we wouldn't have had to go to the Saudis, to the UAE, to OPEC and say, will you please maintain a higher level of production to keep costs down? And this was before the 2022 midterm elections. They didn't. They thumbed their nose at the Biden administration. We know that Russia would like nothing more than to embolden and enrich their economy and at the same time either take us down or damage ours. The Chinese, they're making deals with the Saudis. They want to do this in trading in Chinese currency instead of the U.S. currency, which is now the reserve currency, through a handshake deal going all the way back to the Nixon administration. And so we know that places in the world realize at this point, at this time, getting into a war with us is probably not a good idea. It's going to cost them a lot of money. It's going to cost lives on both sides. And we are a formidable opponent as a military. But whether it's cyber attacks or it's attacks on our economy because we've given up the uh, advantage we had in being um, um, independent, energy independent, that's part of the issue. When you look at the U.S. economy, there is little doubt. And if you have doubt, it's because you're not really paying very close attention or you are so entrenched in your politics that you can't make an acknowledgement that the uh, global warming, I guess climate change is what they all call it now, the climate change agenda of this administration is being paid for largely on the backs of the working class in America. Anybody, any small business, large ones too, but the small business owners who see these increases in fuel prices as damaging to the bottom line, sometimes fatal. Same thing with families living paycheck to paycheck, living on, everybody lives on a fixed income, I mean, unless you go out and get another job, and they're seeing this as damaging to them because their food prices are still so high. There are things that can be done in every administration that greatly affect the cost of things in many different areas, including energy. The Biden administration has made a commitment to climate change, period, end of story. And so they they are not as concerned with the rising costs, but they should be. We talked about housing and things that can be done legislatively in Arizona. What can we do legislatively in the state of Arizona to keep housing prices down or drive them down? And a lot of it has to do with zoning rules and other things that can help expedite the process. It's not going to solve the problem, but it's going to ease the problem. Our fuel tax in Arizona compared to other places in the country, fairly low. You know, when you look at the cents per gallon that we tax as a state, that we get tax revenue in other places, but the everyday people that have to have fuel all the time, your fuel prices could be a much – why do you think California is so much higher than Arizona? It's because of what they charge in fuel taxes. So I, I just think that this is a big part of, of, uh, of why we are seeing some of the things we see. We're going to shift our conversation back to the border in a moment. If you didn't hear the breaking news, Jeff is going to have an update in the news coming up, the news update about uh, Secretary Mayorkas making a trip to the border of Texas and in Arizona. Tomorrow will be that trip. But we're going to talk about some of the other things happening on the border next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app.
And don't forget Rock and Roll Hall of Famers Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks are headed to Chase Field for one night on the same stage December 8th. Tickets will go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m., but you could possibly win a pair. Just head over to the uh, contest page at KTAR.com. <clears throat> U.S. Department of Homeland Security, they will they have announced that Secretary Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, is coming to Arizona. Um, here, I'm, I'm getting a lot of messages from friends, and I wish I could tell you some of their names because you would be – you would be uh, very curious to know why they think some of the things they think, but they're right on the money. The reason why people are concerned and the reason why people are skeptical is because of the huge budgets that have been passed with not a lot of time or effort or attention being paid to the border. Um, our governor um, – and again, I'm going to disagree with our governor a lot of times because we're on opposite political parties and I don't agree with the policies necessarily. But you have a hard time convincing me that it's a good decision for all the people in Arizona to get rid of the border strike force. The border strike force has been an effective tool – so effective, as a matter of fact, that it was going to be spread where border strike forces were going to be linking arms, so to speak, in places like Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, possibly Southern California. But we were seeing other states create border strike forces because of this. The border strike force is a tool that is necessary for Southern Arizona because when you go to Southern – if you're not familiar, I, I will tell you a couple of things about Southern Arizona that I absolutely love. Salt of the earth people. People, many of them farmers, ranchers, working their land. Um, but the other part of it is, is it's not necessarily an affluent part of the state. So when their resources are tapped, when their resources are stressed, they have a very difficult time with public services feeding and taking care of the community around them. You've got hospitals that are about to go under. You have hospitals that are saying financially we may never recover if we don't get some of this money back. We are seeing whether it's 911, emergency rooms, um, clinics, food banks, all of them being stressed. But one of the areas is law enforcement. When you look at law enforcement on the border, you're talking about a small sheriff's department. And here's what's scary about it. There is absolutely no doubt whatsoever, no doubt that the sheriff's offices by themselves in border towns are outgunned and outmanned by the cartels. And it is a scary proposition. As far north as Pinal County, which borders the Tohono O'odham tribal land, which the tribal land straddles the U.S.-Mexico border. So in effect, uh, Pinal County is a border county, but it's not the border of Mexico. But a lot of traffic, human traffic and drug traffic comes through there. Radio chatter with uh, sheriff's deputies on the ground, border patrol agents on the ground, ICE agents on the ground, listening to radio chatter of lookouts in the mountains above, giving the exact location of the police on the American side of the border that are listening to what's going on. And they are, they are outgunned. There's no doubt about it. And yet they're charged with keeping law and order in their county. Well, instead of being able to keep a lid on the crime within their county, they're looking south because of the problems that are there. That's where the border strike force comes in. The border strike force, for those of you that aren't as familiar with DPS, DPS in Arizona has a huge role statewide. It isn't just accidents. It isn't DUIs and tickets. The DPS has a crime lab for little towns, just like the ones we're talking about, that don't have one. 
and they have the statewide radio system. They have evidence lockup. They have all of these other things where they serve the entire state. And in some places, because of staffing issues and sheriff's departments all over the state, not just on the border, there are times of the day or night where the only law enforcement available in some area is the state highway patrol. Or DPS. So when you get rid of the border strike force, the governor saying, and take her at her word, I'm not saying she's lying when she said that I want to find a better way to use that money. Okay, that's terrific. Again, new governor, new plan forward, moving in a new direction. Terrific. What's the plan? The idea that you're going to break up something by all accounts that is an asset in southern Arizona in helping drug interdiction and human smuggling and other crimes that are being committed by people crossing the border illegally. Um, And we're talking about crimes in our state. We're not talking about border enforcement. We're not talking about, uh, you know, CBP or or ICE. They're not doing that. They're they're going after crimes here that are being committed. Um, If you're going to end it. Don't you have to have something to replace it with to say, no, 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 we just don't like the way it's going here. So we're going to get rid of it. And when we get rid of it, then we'll come up with a plan of what's going to be better. And then we never hear anything about what's better. That's a concern. So when Secretary Mayorkas says that he is coming here, great. Going down to Nogales, going to the port of entry, um, Mariposa, that's terrific. But We should have a right. We do. We maintain the right to be very suspicious of this visit. What will the outcome be? What are the real results? Because what if we don't see any real results? We haven't, you know, we've got a policy shift. And again, this is here come the politics. Um, The one thing that's worked so far has been the policy shift going back to the Remain in Mexico policy of the previous administration that was part of what everybody on the other side of the aisle said was uh, inhumane and cruel and we shouldn't do it. It was one of the first things that were reversed and we saw this mass incursion that happened here into the U.S. Well, it's been reversed largely. This administration went back to, in large part, they went back to a policy that was working under the previous administration. The political part of that is they are going to face major fallout from their base. The base of people that elected this president that believe that his policies on the border were right by being lenient are furious that he's doing what he's doing. So this is a political game in many ways. And it isn't for the people of Arizona. In Arizona, we've got a ton of Republicans, a ton of Democrats, and a ton of independents. But, but one of the things that's fairly agreed upon is the border's a mess. Now, there are some detractors on that statement, but many people know the border in Arizona is a mess. So much of the country's fentanyl is coming across our border, and someone has to do something. And right now, you're right to say that no administration has fixed it, but you're wrong to say that it's not the responsibility of this administration because they are now the ones in charge. So coming up in a moment, violent crime continues to rise. Some of the causes of what's happening And in other places, clamping down on crime is working. We'll talk about both next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Everybody. 
everybody's wake-up song. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Um, crime and punishment is often the topic. I, I talked earlier about the city of Miami. Um, there is a difference, and it's interesting. A lot of this is public perception. It is about public attitude. Um, in Miami – Spring break has gotten out of control, which nobody should be surprised by because spring break has been getting out of control since the 70s and probably before that. But in the early 1980s, mid-1980s, when I was in high school, I was class of 1985. You talk about your typical 80s kid. My birthday is in June. I turned 18 in June of 1985. I am the epicenter of 80s kids. We would go to Fort Lauderdale because that was that was spring break central in the 80s, was in um, Fort Lauderdale. And they got out of control. And the hotels knew they, they had an offset. They were charging outrageous amounts of money for hotel rooms, but they were allowing multiple people, way more than the room was built for, to stay in these rooms. And they were getting trashed. Beds thrown out the window, pillows thrown out the window, TVs trashed, holes in the walls, puke everywhere, having to redo rooms when it was all done. But it was financially got to a point where it wasn't worth it anymore. People were dying. People were jumping from balcony to balcony. And the reason why I bring this up is because Miami is going through a problem. Because Miami had spring breakers. It got out out of control. Someone got shot. Guns got involved. And so Miami said, nope, we're done. We are imposing a curfew. So here's a, here's a man on the street interview. This is what happened. What about Miami now that there's a curfew? There are a lot of policemen on bikes. There are way more security guards. It's definitely more a lockdown than it was yesterday. So sending a message. Sending a message. You're not going to do this in our city. And what ends up happening is spring break moves. Now, it has changed quite a bit. You know, you've got South Padre Island here in Arizona. A lot of people go down to Rocky Point and other parts in Mexico. But where I grew up in Florida, whether it was, again, I've listed off these the last time I talked about this. Panama City, Daytona Beach, West Palm Beach. Then on the Gulf of Mexico side, you had uh, Fort Myers. And where I grew up, Fort Myers Beach um, and south down in, in, in Bonita Beach and then down in Naples was a big area. And Fort Myers was a huge area for spring break. Until it got out of control and then the message got sent. Business owners said it's not worth it. We spend all the money we're making fixing these places up after they're trashed by college kids. But you've got the police department and the city working together saying, nope, curfew and presence. We are going to be out there so that they know bad behavior is not going to be tolerated. So you mirror that with um, when the police weren't involved up in Seattle and other parts with the Chaz and with CHOP and with all these other things where the police were pushed out and the city with its policies said, we're going to respect it. We're going to respect that they don't want the police around. Here is another and we're going to talk more about this in um, coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, I believe right at 1105, the city of Phoenix. The city of Phoenix, the Phoenix Union High School District, has de- had decided a couple of years ago that having police officers on campus made some students uncomfortable. Again, a very politically motivated, anti-police, defund the police attitude from the heads of – and nobody's ever had to answer for this. This is the part of it that makes me crazy. When you make a decision as the leader of any organization that diminishes that organization's ability to be safe, especially when it involves children – 
shouldn't there be people held accountable? Now, I'm not saying that they should have lose their jobs. I'm saying there's got to be accountability. Members of of our uh, members of our um, uh, um, I would say members of our city, members of of this media, of the media here should be asking these questions. You know that there are been reports of guns. Somebody sent me pictures of guns in a classroom in Phoenix where a student actually brought a gun to campus and they were taking pictures inside the school that he posted on social media. Uh, there's been now uh, accusations of drugs in the restroom, drug dealing going on, weapons in the classroom. Teachers are fearful for their lives. Good students are fearful for their lives. And there is no coverage of this. There is nobody out there talking about it. Well, part of the problem is, as an organization, leadership in the Phoenix Union High School District said, we don't want cops on our campus because a segment of our student body doesn't feel comfortable around the police. It was an anti-police, definitely an anti-police message. And the city went with it. They've reversed that attitude in many ways. I'm happy to see it. We have a new former assistant police chief of the city of Phoenix is now on the Phoenix City Council. But here we are looking at when crime is ignored and law enforcement's hands are tied versus here in Miami. You've got spring breakers acting like idiots. What does the city do? As a city, they say we're implementing a curfew and we go to the city of Miami Police Department and say, "Okay, bicycles horseback, whatever it is, like they do for Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, they have got mounted police. You know, they are they are the, on horseback, and they clear the streets, and they don't tolerate – they want you to have a good time, and they tell everybody that. Come to New Orleans, have a good time, collect the beads, walk around and drink, have fun. You're going to start fights. You're going to urinate in public. You're going to do uh, sexual things in public. You're going to cross a line. You cross the line here, you're going to pay a price. You're going to jail. You'll learn your lesson. It's how they keep a party like that organized. Miami is putting its foot down. You see the difference when a city or a county or a state, when you put your foot down and you say the people don't want it, the city's not going to tolerate it, and the police force is going to enforce it, you see a lid gets clamped down on this right away. I mean, when we talk more about schools, and I talk about schools a lot, and we're going to do it again after 11 o'clock, the reason why people aren't outraged is because people are not hearing the stories that, you know, that you're talking about public high schools where we are seeing lousy results, teachers leaving the profession. Well, the narrative about teachers leaving the profession is just about pay. I'll tell you, it's about safety in the public schools. Teachers are concerned for themselves and for good students. Students don't want to use the restroom because of what's going on in there. And all of this after after leadership at the Phoenix uh, Union High School District decided law enforcement on campus was a bad idea. They say they're having meetings to rethink this and they may retool their plan and their safety plan. But things are not just because we're not seeing and thank God we haven't seen shootings, mass shootings or otherwise on high school campuses doesn't mean that the campuses are safe. And that is a microcosm of everything else. Remove law enforcement. Remove policies that punish people for bad behavior, and what you end up with is chaos because the criminal element does not think like you and I think. And we've just got to make sure we change it. All right, coming up in a moment, um, will President Trump be indicted? We're going to get to that coming up in just a couple of moments. (laughs) 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Will President Trump be indicted? It is a great question. And if so, what are the implications? I talked about this earlier. There is an ABC report about this, about concerns about protests. But I want to hear Jonathan Carl from ABC News. The question, will the president, will the former president be indicted? Donald Trump is making another claim without any evidence. But this time, the former president's words are sparking fears of violence. Over the weekend, Trump claimed he will be arrested tomorrow, indicted by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg for charges related to hush money payments he made to porn star Stormy Daniels. ABC News has not verified the claims and Trump hasn't said why he thinks he'll be arrested tomorrow. His own spokesman said they have received no notice from the DA's office. So the push for a protest, and here's the issue. We know that January 6th is being laid at the feet of former President Trump. I will tell you that I don't blame him any more than I blame anybody else that makes crazy statements. I will tell you about my feelings, first of all, about Washington, D.C. What happened on January 6th was a despicable act. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't think it was an insurrection because I don't want to give those idiots the credit they could have actually overthrown the government. But what they did was go inside, and I keep hearing from people. Well, they were let in. I've been let in a lot of places. Um, The Capitol building for me holds such special meaning. Um, It's almost, and this is irreverent to say because I'm not, I don't want to compare government or government buildings to a church or God, but it's almost that kind of respectful. Walking into the Capitol building, walking around the rotunda of the Capitol, looking at the relics, going into Statuary Hall, where which was the original House chamber, um, being able to get a behind-the-scenes tour with uh, with Matt Salmon when he was a member of Congress, and being able to walk around in places that the public can't go. Um, I'm humbled every time I go to Washington, D.C., walking inside the Lincoln Memorial and listening to people speak and reading those speeches on the walls and, and those huge letters in the World War II Memorial and the reflecting pool for the Washington Monument. All of these places that we hold so dear, to have anybody damage them is a despicable act. There's no doubt. But I don't blame the former president for that. I blame the people that did it. Now, does that mean that you aren't responsible for for inflammatory language? Well, again, if we're going to hold people responsible for other people's behavior, um, then it's got to be consistent. And I don't know that it's being consistent. You know, we know, we know, let me mirror something for you and you tell me if you think it's right. You've got the former president of the United States being held accountable for January 6th in the minds of many. You've got the, and people say, well, he was the president. That's a very big office. You do realize that when the protests were happening in D.C., when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, which everybody called mostly peaceful, and they were, but they made a designation between peaceful protesters and unpeaceful protesters, which none of those designations ever happened with the people that were out there protesting the election that day, where the vast majority of people stayed out of the Capitol building. As despicable as it was to watch people that I think are on the same side of the political aisle as me uh, go after police officers. I thought it was disgusting. I do. There's no doubt about that. But you realize that the current vice president of the United States was a part of the fundraising effort for the bail for the people that were doing damage during protests. 
She was raising money for the bail of people that were arrested for violently protesting, burning buildings, damaging vehicles, looting stores. So you tell me, how is that equal? This is where it is in the minds of people because it is so overtly political. And here's the other part of it. I've been a Republican for 20 years. I've been more than that, but about 20 years that I've been active. And Republicans will vote for someone else. The people that keep the former president in the forefront of everybody's minds are the people that continue to go after him. They are making a martyr of the former president. The former president made it very clear in his campaign and was a cornerstone of who he was. He would tell crowds of people, they're not after me, they're after you. I'm just standing in the way. And he made it a point to say, they want you. They're coming after you and the way you think and what you believe. I just happen to be the person that's standing in their way from doing it. And he has built himself up. And it's continuing. It is becoming almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, I don't know if the former president's going to get arrested. I don't know if he's going to be convicted, and I don't know if he deserves to be. But again, they say he paid somebody. He broke campaign laws. Okay, then pay the price. How many times have we seen people on both sides of the political aisle break campaign laws? He paid off someone, and I'm not – listen, I don't agree with a lot of those things that happened. But are we going after everyone? You had, again, you had a president that remained in office that had an ongoing relationship with an intern while he was president. For everybody out there in the Me Too movement, everybody out there that believes in the Me Too movement, is there a bigger disparity in power than president of the United States, an intern? The most powerful man on the planet and an intern in the White House and some of the despicable things that were going on behind closed doors in the Oval Office, in the White House. And yet he was defended for over a decade by people on his side of the aisle. So the whole thing has got me concerned because if we're going to go after people, then let's go after them. If this president committed a crime, he should be held accountable just like anybody else should be held accountable. If you run for office and you break the law and you keep campaign money, you should be in trouble. Everybody should. But if you're going – if this is a politics-only campaign, people are going to sniff that out and it's going to be – it's going to be trouble. It is going to be trouble. What we're going to do just after 11 o'clock is talk about education, which is one of my favorite favorite topics to talk about. Um, but a, a little bit of a twist. Allegations of violence, drugs, contraband, and, and guns on school campuses in Arizona. And the fight, the fight for the classroom. We're going to talk about the culture war next. <laughs> 